what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. There are signs that COVID is making a comeback with some new sub-variants. And if you're due for a booster, whether to roll up your sleeves now or wait for one that protects against those new strains is a question that you probably want to answer. So this week we are asking, should I get a COVID booster now or wait for one that is more up to date? Hi, Allison. Welcome back to The Dose. Hi, Brian. Pleasure to be here. When did you get your last COVID booster? I, I had to look it up, you know, it's getting harder and harder to remember. Um, uh, April, March, 2023, second bivalent booster, because I'm old, okay? Oh, so am I. You're, you're a vintage. We're not yes. going to call you old. So, okay, so you've got a decision. You've got a personal decision in, in addition to dispensing advice, and we certainly want to hear all about that. But before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is... Tell us what you do and where you do it so that everybody knows all of your amazing qualifications. Okay. Hi, my name is Allison McGear, and I'm an adult infectious disease physician and infectious disease epidemiologist at Sinai Health System in Toronto. Great. Here we go. So how active is COVID right now? It's still warm outside and people, kids are just going back to school now. So how active is COVID right now? So more active than the beginning of July, but less active than last April and May. So it's it's starting to creep back up again, but there's still not a lot of activity in Canada. And, you know, what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for the weather to get colder, to for kids to be entrenched in school? What are we waiting for? Well, don't we wish we knew now that there's, it's, disappointing after so long, certainly disappointing for someone like me who spent my whole career trying to answer some of these questions. Um, but we don't know precisely what all the pieces are. We just know that, you know, as we go back inside in the winter, so going inside in the summer doesn't seem to be a problem. Going inside in the winter may be a problem. As kids get back to school and have more contact, as we get further and further from our last vaccine dose, as this virus changes more and more to move away. So it's the combination of things together and probably still honestly, as we all still kind of get back to normal, it's been this long, slow process of returning to all of our activities as we know them. And I think those of us who are older and more vulnerable have been slower than other people to do it. So all of those things layered together is what's going to get us the fall activity. It's just really hard to predict at the moment how bad it's going to be. But the trend lines are up, and they're going to go up a lot faster in the weeks in the weeks and months to come. Have I got that right? You got that right. So for sure, we're going to have COVID activity this winter that is greater than it is now. It's a question of whether it's going to be not as bad as the flu, as bad as the flu, worse than the flu. 
I've been paying a lot of attention lately to a new subvariant called BA286, uh, also known in some circles as Pirola. Now, that's an interesting name. What do we know so far about this new subvariant? Well, it, it's, it's academically interesting for a variety of reasons. So, first of all, um, if you've been tracking it as painfully as I have, you'll know that it's popped up in many places around the world. So it's not just in one country or one general area, but in all those places so far, it's really uncommon. You know, one in Canada, two in Denmark, one in South Africa, so, you know, three or four in the United States. So, so remarkable for being widespread, but not increasing dramatically over the last month or so that people have now been tracking it uh, and not taking off in any one place before it's disseminated everywhere. So it's different than what we've seen before. And that makes it a little harder to parse what's going on with it. Um, the good news is about it is that so far, and there's, we're just beginning to get the data on how far away it is from an immune system perspective from other variants. Uh, and the very first data came out last week and suggested that maybe it was further than you would like, but three other labs have weighed in since and said, no, I don't think so. So the, the good news about it is that initially people looked at the sequences and they said, oh, this is gonna be immunogenically a long way away, not sure the boosters are gonna cover it, but that's looking like that's not correct. It really is looking like the boosters will cover it well, and even without the boosters, even without these most recent boosters, people are probably still pretty well protected against it. And I gather that you're, you're referring to the most recent studies, the most recent data that's come out. There were a couple of uh, uh, groups of scientists in the United States who reported that the antibodies that are produced by a recent bi bivalent vaccine or by an infection with Omicron reacted against this new subvariant suggesting that that if you have those antibodies you're likely to be reasonably protected against against the new one that's right and you know if everybody has their own way of doing these tests and each of the assays is a little bit different and of course we're not far enough into this to have standardization of assays and to know exactly how to translate them um so it's really important after you that you that you sort of weigh all of them together uh, and there's a bit of a range in, in people's findings, but overall, um, the answer is that it looks like people's antibody levels were more protective um, against this strain than we thought they were going to be by just looking at the sequence, which is what people originally saw. So that's good news. There's another subvariant that I've been watching, uh, EG5, also known as Eris. Uh, the WHO calls it a variant of interest. What do we know about that? Well, you know, same thing. There's a, a, every time you think you know what's going on, somebody says, oh, no, you need to worry about, and, you know, out comes the letters and numbers again of, of new variants that are happening. But as expected, you know, as coronaviruses do, this virus is evolving, and there are new variants arising. And every time we notice one that seems to be taking over, meaning it's more transmissible. Every time we notice one that has a lot of mutations, meaning it might be further away from the immune system, people, you know, perk their ears up and start focusing on what we know about. 
But so far, um, EG 5.1 and FL.1.5 and 15, now I've forgotten. Uh, so Five. far, all of the new ones that are out are, you know, really don't look like anything exciting. They're just COVID doing what COVID does. Um, and none of them are going to have a big impact on the effectiveness of the booster dose this fall or likely what's happening before we get that booster dose out. So, and you know, these are questions that you, you probably don't want to answer because who has all the information right now anyway, but these are questions that doctors and nurse practitioners are being asked all the time. To what extent do the current bivalent vaccines protect against these new subvariants? It's going to depend on how long it is since you've had them. So uh, if you're just talking about any protection, and what we know is that once you get to about six months after a booster dose, you're not very well protected. Notice me coaching that. I'm not saying nothing. I'm just saying not very well protected against getting an upper respiratory tract illness um, from SARS-CoV-2, which can be miserable, but it is not dangerous. If you've had an infection in addition to that booster, you're probably better protected at, at out even past six months, but still the protection is not great from any infection. The protection from severe infection, however, is really different. I can't, I can't put a number on the protection from severe infection until we see it. None of us can. But everything we know suggests that people who have been well vaccinated and or have been vaccinated and have had at least one infection are going to be substantially protected from severe disease. That does not mean that those of us who are older and people who are immunocompromised and people who have uh, multiple underlying comorbidities uh, aren't going to be at some risk of severe disease. Um, but just at the moment, with not really very much activity, um, people's boosters are probably holding fairly well. Okay, let's let's try to drill down a little bit. Uh, let's start with people of average risk who maybe have been waiting eight, nine, ten months, or a year since their last booster. So they need one. So you, you've said that that immunity drops off, and and the magic number seems to be six months. Of course, I'm sure there's a range, but but would you be telling people, advising people, if it's been that long since you've had a booster, to get one now, regardless, and not wait for the new one? What's your thinking on that? So what Nancy and public health are telling us is that we should be waiting, and that's premised on the fact that there's still not very much activity. Um, and it's almost certainly true that the booster, in the same way that the bivalent boosters protected people better last year than the old vaccine, almost certainly true that the new booster is going to protect us better against the SARS-CoV-2 viruses, viral strains that are around this fall. So waiting is good. The question to me is, what are the things that would make you not wait? Um, and what are the challenges that you might get into if you decide not to wait? And the things that would make me not wait are circumstances where you know that your exposure to COVID is likely to be significant uh, and you have an underlying uh, condition that means that you're at greater risk of severe disease. For instance, 
the, the extreme example, in my view, is in long-term care homes, um, we know that residents are highly vulnerable. If an outbreak starts in a long-term care home, in my view, every resident of that long-term care home should be getting a booster now, um, and we'll deal with what comes later. later. Um, if you have an immunocompromising illness and are going to be uh, traveling a lot by air in the next six weeks, that's another good reason for thinking about getting a booster in the But for most of us, um, waiting and watching is a reasonable thing to do for the moment. Remember that it's a little bit irritating because you kind of like to make a decision and not worry about it. Um, but I can make a decision today that I'm not going to get a regular booster and change my mind tomorrow. So the fact that I'm deciding today not to get the old booster because I'm waiting for the new one doesn't mean I can't change my mind a week or two weeks or three weeks from now if things change in terms of activity. Um, and so that that's what I'm thinking about for myself. That's what I'm saying to other people. Is in general, makes sense to wait. Um, but it's a good idea to just have half an eye on what's going on because you can change your mind. Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are, wherever you get your podcasts. So one exception would be people who have severe underlying uh, diseases or exist, you know, are living in, in conditions that put them at greater risk of outbreaks, for example, long-term care. Are you saying that somebody of average risk who's traveling to a, COVID, a place where there's high rates of COVID, that they should get a booster in advance? regardless of, of whether it's a new booster or not? The challenge here for them is what's the downside of getting boosters? So from a, from a straight up, you know, protection against disease, you know, individual level balance, to me, those people getting boosters is enormously sensitive, right? The last thing you want to be is in your hotel room with COVID uh, in a country where you don't speak the language well. So it would make sense. The downside, however, is that our current guidance or when you can get a booster is six months. Uh, and we still don't know the extent to which people are going to enforce that. You know, obviously, if, if there's a huge amount of activity, uh, it's likely that people are going to um, walk that back a little bit. Um, but you, you are accepting some risk at the moment if you live in Canada and you choose to get a dose now that you may not be able to get a dose until December or January of, of the new bivalent booster. Okay, let's go to a, a completely different category. How about kids going back to school? So what, again, what uh, NASI is saying is that those kids should be waiting for their booster, that it's still likely to take six or eight weeks of time for COVID to start to build again. Um, uh, as it starts. And so uh, NASI is recommending that all children over the age of six months get a booster. 
but that they wait for the bivalent booster to come. Because kids in particular are healthy children, are not at that high risk for COVID. Um, and most of them have had a dose or two of vaccine and an infection so far. Um, and so waiting for kids makes uh, a lot of sense. Assuming most of us should wait for an updated booster, how well will that updated booster protect us against these new subvariants? do you think? That's a, that's a, that's a dangerous lot of thin ice to go out on. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think that I, it's important to remember here that now we're talking about, you know, benefits over previous boosters. So everything is getting a little more marginal. I think it'll boost us probably 50 or 60% against severe disease for a period of four to six months. This is, this is straight up opinion. Okay. The, you know, we're, we'll not know for sure until we see it, but there is, there is good cost protection uh, against all of the variants that we have seen so far, which means that for the people that, the people that we're particularly worried about are older adults who have not yet had an infection. Even if they've had all their booster doses, um, those are the people where protection is waning most quickly and where protection against severe disease from what they've had so far may be down around, you know, 70, maybe even a little bit below. And those people will get boosted back up to somewhere above 90%. I think, and most of the rest of us will get at least a, a 50% reduction in risk of severe disease wherever our baseline is. This may be an easier question, um, but again, it, it, I, you know, it, requ- it, it, it requires knowing something about the behavior of, of Health Canada and vaccine manufacturers. When is the updated booster expected? You know, the, the only safe answer to that question is that I, I know with absolute confidence that everybody is scrambling together as fast as they can. That's, I think, still likely to mean that it will be the middle of October um, before we get doses. And when we get the first doses, again, we're not likely to get them all at once because vaccine manufacturing plants just have you know, capacity limits. They can't do 24 million doses a day. Um, uh, will the the first people we will leave to offer protection to will be those who are most vulnerable. So as with our first set of vaccines, we'll go for residents of long-term care, older adults, healthcare workers first in all likelihood. Um, and so it may be November sometime before the rest of us can get vaccine. And knowing or what we know, and you've already said there are a lot, there's a lot that we don't know about the behavior of COVID. Are you, how hopeful are you that there'll be plenty of vaccine on hand as rates start to rise to the point at which we wish we, we had the vaccine available as quick as possible? I think all of us are worried that activity is going to move faster than um, vaccine availability. I don't. I just don't know enough about what the circumstances are in, you know, with health Canada or vaccine supply to be able to talk intelligently. It's one of those things that I'm trying not to lose sleep over because I know people involved are doing the very best they can. It's not something I can alter. I, I think it just means that whenever any of us as healthcare workers get an opportunity to 
you'll move a little faster, do things a little better, that we'll, we'll need to do that this fall. I, I, I am worried that activity is going to climb faster than we would like it to, but we're, we're not talking the beginning of the pandemic. Okay? We're not talking the beginning of all the crime We're not talking about catastrophes. Um, we are talking about something that we'd all like to avoid. You know, I'm mindful of the fact that the two of us are having this conversation and the, the two of us are pro-vaccine. And there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this who are not or who are ambivalent and, and, and you know, and, and maybe have only had three doses uh, of the vaccine. So what do you say to them at this point uh, in, in the pandemic, in this point in the, in the story of COVID? Well, you know, generally that's a long conversation because it's about <laughs> about thinking about how how people are feeling about vaccines and why people are hesitant about vaccines. And there's as many reasons to be hesitant about vaccines as there are people in the world. Uh, and so, you know, it's about trying to you know center those people and and help them make decisions. You know, truth is that all of us make different decisions about our individual level of risk. Um, and none of us make the smartest decisions in the world about every level of risk there is. It, it's okay that people are hesitant. I, of course, I worry about them as a healthcare worker because I know what the risk of COVID is, and I don't want people um, to be at risk of COVID. But it's, you know, it's, it's a conversation that has to be had about why people are weighing that risk of COVID differently than I am. Well, uh, Dr. Allison McGeer, I always love talking to you about COVID, and uh, you have not disappointed once again. Thank you so much for bringing some clarity to a subject that uh, that uh, it certainly continues to be important to us and will continue to be important uh, this fall. You're most welcome, Brian. I don't think you meant it when you said that you always enjoyed talking to you about COVID because we were all tired of talking about COVID, um, but doesn't mean we don't have to get our boosters as well. Take care. You too. Dr. Allison McGeer is an infectious disease physician at Sinai Health System and professor in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathobiology at the University of Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. After a lull, COVID cases and hospitalizations are slowly climbing, though nowhere near what we saw during previous peak times. There's a new subvariant called BA286, also known as Parola. Public health doctors have been fearful about this subvariant because it is genetically quite different from the one that until recently was the dominant one. But those fears may have been premature. Very recent studies suggest that people who have either been infected with or vaccinated against Omicron produce antibodies that are likely to protect against the new subvariant. COVID watchers are tracking another new subvariant called EG5 or Eris. So far, there's no evidence that Eris causes severe COVID infections. A new bivalent vaccine that protects against these subvariants should be available this fall, hopefully at the same time as the annual flu shot. If you need a booster, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, or NACI, says you should wait until the new one arrives. Get a booster now if you're immunocompromised or live in long-term care where you're highly likely to be exposed to the virus. You should also consider getting a booster now and not wait if you plan on traveling to a part of the world with a high rate of COVID. When COVID was on the decline, 
many of us got out of the habit of wearing masks. Cooler weather and kids going back to school mean we can expect to see many more cases of COVID this fall. Consider wearing a mask when gathering indoors with lots of other people. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This edition of The Dose was produced by Isabel Gallant. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.